Welcome in, everybody, to the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. Happy Monday. It is the morning for me. It is the afternoon for Tara right now on the East Coast. I'm Gray Robertson. That is Tara Henry. Postseason is here, Tara. The regular season is done, and now we get to the mayhem portion of the college softball season. Yeah, what a wild weekend to end the regular season, and I know we'll get into that, Gray, but gosh, I can't believe we're we're heading into conference tournaments and the postseason is less than a week away selection Sunday. And boy, do we have a ton to talk about? And that's why we're on early uh, because we'll be covering the AU pro draft post draft show tonight, but wanted to make sure we got to connect with you all because gosh, a lot happened this past weekend, Gray. Yes. And what we've got coming up, of course, we'll do our top 25 Q and a we'll also answer some bracketing questions. I know a lot of people are, interested to see why the RPI is the way it is and why some people have certain teams and other seating spots uh, compared to that RPI metric. Uh, of course, we've got our cleanup hitter coming up, which is LSU head coach Beth Tarina. Happy that we were able to schedule coach Tarina to come on this morning. And then we'll find out where Tara was this weekend. Could be a fun answer a little bit later. Also, of course, make sure that you use the promo code podcast 20 to get a 20% subscription for the wonderful website that is d1softball.com. Okay, Tara, let's start with the leadoff. It's going to be a long one, but it's the best way to start the show. <laughs> we begin with Bedlam, and it, in fact, kind of was Bedlam. As I was sitting at a restaurant on Saturday getting ready for the Kentucky Derby, we also had Oklahoma, Oklahoma State on. The Cowgirls were winning. It looked good. And then the seventh inning came. And Tara, if you're going to beat the Sooners, you have to play all seven. And Oklahoma took advantage of some Oklahoma State maybe mental miscues, a couple coaching decisions here and there that I didn't necessarily agree with. And that led to a Sooner sweep to close out the regular season. You know, uh, we all know that as of late, the Cowgirls have, have been struggling. And I think this series was going to be very pivotal for Oklahoma State. But you can see just how good this Oklahoma team really is. And like you said, Gray, every single out counts, uh, you know, 21 outs for most games. Uh, not every single game against the Sooners is 21 outs. But, you know, you'd argue that you do, you do, you have to be on it every single out, every single inning. And, you know, I was having this conversation earlier of the weekend and people are saying, Oh, you know, this Oklahoma team isn't as good as last season. I don't know that we can actually compare them to a team last season. I think what we need to do is actually compare Oklahoma to the rest of the teams that are playing in 2023. And right now, Gray, I, I'm going to find it really difficult to find a team across the country uh, that can go head to head with those Sooners for seven innings. They do so much right. The pitching is so good. The defense, it feels like, never makes mistakes. Oklahoma is the best team I've ever seen at being able to cash in on opponent errors. In game one, I was shocked when Oklahoma State committed a few errors and the Sooners didn't immediately score. Uh, do I think their offense is as good as last year? Maybe not, because they don't have the Allo-type player who can just hit 30 home runs. But they've got nine people who can all hit double-digit home runs. And I think that that is what makes this Sooner team so well-rounded. I want to get your opinion, Tara, on that Game 2 decision by Kenny Gajewski to not walk Tiari Jennings with first base open. Uh, we were sitting watching it before she wasn't walked, and then when the count got to 3-1, we said, okay, throw ball four outside, load the bases, see what you can do with that. But instead, Oklahoma State pitched to Tiari Jennings, and she came through. Who's surprised? Well, you know, the tough part about the OU lineup is even, you know, even if you pitch around any uh, player in that lineup, one through nine, they're so difficult. And I think, Gray, that's really important what you said earlier in that it's the sum of the parts. It's not just one player. Uh, and when you have a complete team like that, it's tough. And, you know, I don't know what the data says, uh, you know, regarding Tiari Jennings. I historically has trouble more with the down ball. So, um, in terms of choosing, uh, it's it's pick your poison. Uh, and, and I think we said this before with the Sooners. So, you know, 
gosh, tough weekend for the Cowgirls. And, and I think this Big 12 tournament is going to be huge for them to get some momentum heading into the postseason. So Oklahoma sweeps Oklahoma State. That was actually one of many sweeps this weekend. Let's go to Tallahassee where Florida State had a couple pretty tight games with the Louisville Cardinals, a team that we had put into our top 25 a few weeks ago. Cards showed up to play, but Florida State just knows how to win, Tara. Same thing again with the Seminole team. I mean, uh, Devin Flaherty with a walk-off home run. You're right, Gray. Very close games. Uh, You know, six to four, six to four, and two to one. So uh, the Cards putting up a fight against Florida State. And again, they are battle-tested. That is another squad that played a tough schedule very early, and you're seeing uh, the fruits of their labor heading into uh, the ACC tournament and the postseason. But again, Lonnie Alameda, not afraid to schedule tough, not afraid to go on the road and face tough competition, and you're seeing a battle-tested squad uh, in Florida State. And uh, a team that, you know, I, d- I just said earlier, you know, we're not sure Oklahoma has anybody that can go after them, but, but I think Florida State's going to give them a run for their money uh, heading into uh, postseason here. Yeah, you mentioned Devin Flaherty. Shout out to Dev on her first home run of the year, being a walk-off in extras to defeat Louisville. Florida State, like we said, is just a team that knows how to win, and I'm sure they're hungry as well after how regionals ended last year for the Knowles. Maybe the most shocking sweep, perhaps, of the weekend was Baylor sweeping Texas. Now, of course, there you know that could be debated. There were, like I said, a lot of sweeps this weekend, but it was really, really interesting to see the Bears take it to Texas in game one and then just hold that momentum the rest of the weekend and win all three games. And I couldn't agree more, Gray. I think that was a huge sweep for Baylor. Uh, again, you know, our resident bracketologist Brady Vernon talking about, you know, who actually wants to host a, a regional? And I think we saw this past weekend. It was up and down, but Interesting enough, in our what we learned over on the site on D1Sobble.com, Graham Hayes noted that that was a sweep without Benford or Dari Orm. So uh, Baylor did that uh, without those two arms. Obviously, Benford out for this season. But again, Baylor, another team finding ways to win and a huge sweep of Texas, which Texas swept Oklahoma State as well. So a lot happening in that Big 12, and that Big 12 tournament is going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, and we'll preview the tournaments later on. Uh, I haven't talked with Brady yet this morning. I just finished up my list a bit ago. I do have Baylor in right now as a host, and and it's really interesting to see how much the bottom line has fluctuated in the last two weeks. You'll look at a team like Louisiana, who just, you know, run-of-the-mill sweep over ULM, and with all the carnage that happened around them, they've got to be feeling pretty good about their spot, and I think Baylor sweeping Texas was as critical as any results that we saw this weekend, not just for Baylor, but also for Texas. And maybe more on that in just a bit. Tennessee clinches the SEC, winning two out of three against South Carolina. Gamecocks intentionally walk Kiki Malloy. You know, don't let the best player beat you. Okay. Pitch to Zeta Pooney, three-run homer. And that's how Tennessee clinched the Southeastern Conference. Uh, Tennessee, another team that's really fascinating when it comes to bracketing, but just from pure eye test, Tara, clearly one of the best teams in the country and Ashley Rogers continues to spin it as well as any pitcher in America. And, you know, Karen weekly, what a a nice job she's done with the Vols this season and have some glimpses of that 2007 team with Monica Abbott uh, on the mound and uh, throwing well in the circle and getting it done at the plate. But I said in preseason that, uh, I was pretty sure Tennessee was going to be up there in the SEC and potentially make a women's college world series run. And um, they had all the pieces to make that happen. And they are clicking on all cylinders and Karen Leakley has done a nice job with Tennessee. And again, uh, this SEC tournament is going to be a fun one. I know we're going to preview that, but uh, I'm excited to see what happens. And I think carnage is a great word for this past weekend. I think carnage is going to happen again, heading into these tournaments. Tara, I'm just going to just going to do a little bit of this. Because on this show, we did both predict Tennessee to win the SEC. So, you know, get something right uh, every that, now and then. Pat? I thought yeah. you were scratching your neck. Oh, they were patting your shoulder. Okay, got it. <laughs> okay, I want to get your opinion on this one. Uh, most fascinating and impactful 
going forward into the NCAA tournament result this weekend was Washington taking two at Stanford. Stanford was looking for quality wins. They could not win the series at home. Again, another example of the Cardinals not being able to get it done against the top half of the Pac-12. Washington is all of a sudden in the top eight discussion right now. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see, especially in game three, Tara, the Huskies got to Nazarene Kennedy, and that's really the first team to do that this year. And I think when we speak about Washington, it's always a Bailey cleaner kind of in the conversation and, you know, Ruby Malin, uh, the rookie, but I can't say enough about Kelly Lynch and what she's done as, as late. And Brady Vernon spoke with him a little bit and he's got it up in our, what we learned, but she hit the first home run after off of Kennedy uh, this season. So Kelly Lynch, if they can get her going, not only uh, on offense, but, uh, as another arm in the circle for Washington, they are going to be tough to beat and propelled them into our top five uh, in the D1 softball uh, rankings this week. Again, there was carnage uh, throughout the rankings, but yes, Washington uh, hitting their stride, heading into postseason, and Heather Tarr does a nice job with Washington every year, making sure that they're ready to play in the postseason. Yeah, make sure that you send your questions for the D1 top 25 because, Tara, I felt for you. You, you had to calculate some hefty averages. I've never seen such differences in our various ballots for so many teams this week. It was, it was crazy. This week, honestly, uh, there was such a discrepancy in all of the voting. Uh, so, yes, you're right, Greg. I, I think it shows you the parity across the sport in this past weekend. Again, there was just so much up and down and, you know, big performances. So it was tough other than – you know, those top, you know, four, uh, it was tough to rank the rest of uh, the top 25. But again, this is what makes our job so fun. And again, heading into the postseason, tons of storylines uh, and, uh, you know, games and, and uh, matchups for us to watch. Speaking of matchups to watch, Missouri and Arkansas was must-see TV. After Arkansas run rules game one, Missouri walks off the next two. Kara Daly, home runs off of Shanice Dels basically carbon copies of each other in games two and three. And the Tigers are all of a sudden sitting inside the top 40 in the RPI. They're going to make the NCAA tournament. And it was just really a, a fascinating series to watch. I mean, I had uh, kind of flashbacks to Atwood at, at Texas with her three walk-offs in a row for Daly to do two, uh, two, two in a row in Mizzou. And again, like you said, Gray, super impactful for Mizzou and that entire squad, basically allowing them to get into well, position to be in the tournament. So can't say enough about Mizzou coming on hot and late. And it is all about that great, which teams get hot late in the postseason uh, and how they're playing heading into, again, these conference tournaments uh, and the NCAA tournament. I know we've got LSU next on the rundown. We're going to skip that because we've got a yeah. guest coming up that we can yeah. you know talk about that series with. I want to look at Utah sweeping Oregon. Am I stunned that Utah swept Oregon? Honestly, no. Oregon is not a team that I felt like I could trust at all this year. I was shocked at how it ended with a no-hitter for the Utes in Eugene. Just a wild, wild series. Very, very disappointing for Oregon, who it felt like had worked their way into nearly a safe regional host conversation. And now I've got them on the outside looking in and, all of a sudden, Utah is back in the hosting conversation if they can play well in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, and it's been back and forth. And Mariah Lopez, uh, she's done an incredible job. Watched her throughout this season. Gave UCLA some trouble uh, when she played them. But again, Utah up and down. The Pac, I swear, great. The Pac's been up and down uh, all season. And again, Utah was hot as of late and took a little bit of a dive. Oregon was like almost on a 14-game win streak. Uh, and then to drop three to Utah, huge implications there. But first time the Pac-12 is going to have a tournament. So this is, a, this is new territory for the Pac heading uh, into an actual uh, conference tournament this weekend. And it's a different look uh, on the West Coast for them. But again, you know, Utah, again, another team that's hot and playing well at the right time. And I'm really excited to preview the Pac-12 tournament for the first time ever in just a bit later ever. on in the show. Last thing to get to before we, you know, toss it to the cleanup hitter. High drama in Lexington, Kentucky. The Wildcats win the series against Florida two out of three. First time that a Tim Walton Florida team has finished under 500 in 
that entire era. And maybe the moment of the weekend for me, Tara, was Kayla Kowalik scoring the winning run in game two and then her very emotional post-game interview. I, I DM'd her and I said, that was that was incredible. And you could just tell how much she loves Kentucky, how much she loves playing the sport of softball. It was it was really phenomenal. And I hope everybody out there sees that clip. You know, I couldn't agree with you more, Gray. And it was funny. We had her on the podcast. I believe it was last season and loved her pregame routine. A lot of caffeine. And she just drives around Lexington uh, playing really, really loud music. So it's not – I'm sure they're going to miss her. Uh, and they're going to know when she's gone because that was her pregame routine. But you can tell how much she loves uh, Kentucky softball. And and I love to follow her on social media. I uh, just think her and Rachel Lawson are hysterical uh, back and forth uh, having chats on there. But – you know, congratulations to her and can't say enough about her career and what she's done uh, for the Wildcats. And you're right, Gray. I think that was a special, special moment. And again, um, some more madness in the SEC uh, as well across the country. Yeah, I mean, this weekend was as crazy a weekend as we've seen all year in the SEC. And we got some really, really interesting results out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, LSU taking two out of three against the Georgia Bulldogs. But who wants to hear us talk about that, Tara? I think we should get to the cleanup hitter, don't you? I, I agree. Okay, it's time for the head coach of the LSU Tigers, Beth Tarina, to join us here on the D1 Softball Podcast. And there she is, Veterina. How are you? Good morning. Oh my gosh, I've never hit cleanup before in my whole life. This is the greatest moment I can even imagine. Uh, okay, I didn't hit, but you know, I can only dream of what it would feel like to hit in the covered four hole. Beth, you could be the cleanup hitter whenever you want on the D1 softball podcast. You could come on here whenever you want. You're always wel welcome. I feel very honored to be on today. I feel very honored. So, and I love this cleanup thing. I view myself more of like a lead off, but it's cool. I'll clean it up. That's okay. We love the versatility, Coach. <laughs> and, and I want to talk about this weekend, the two games that you won on Sunday over Georgia. Uh, Saturday, unfortunately, a wash, but so much momentum carried over uh, from game one into game two in that Sunday doubleheader. What did you and the team do on that Saturday in preparation for those two games? Because obviously that's not how conference series are supposed to work, but you had some extra time to get ready for those next two after losing game one. Yeah, you know, we didn't honestly require our team to do much of anything. We just told them whatever they needed to do. And then, um, you know, the pitchers threw a little bit. The hitters had already hit because we tried to play the game. But when I turned around, our whole team was in the cage working. Um, without a requirement to do so, you know, so I think they understood the magnitude of it. They wanted to be prepared. Now, we always joke that luck favors the prepared. So uh, we were going to make sure we were the most prepared on Sunday. And, and honestly, they took that upon themselves. That's what's been so cool about this group all season long is even our strength coach will ask them to do, you know, eight reps and they do nine. Like they're that team that just wants to be ready. And that's been really fun. And coach, I want to talk about Allie Kelponen and, and her leadership and what she's meant to this squad, because to have her in the circle and be that leader, um, you know, I think it's really important um, to you know, shine a light on Allie because, you know, we talked about the rookie a ton and uh, I want to get, give Allie a little love. Yeah, she deserves that. I think she's one of the most improved players we've ever had. I mean, she just is been so fun and just such a sponge like everything i've ever asked her to do um some of them reluctantly but she's done them all uh she's she'll tell the stories of how i've you know tortured her into this curveball but thank goodness we did because um it, it has been awesome and she's been awesome it's truly been just one of the joys of my coaching career to be with her in the bullpen for five years i've, I've really loved it and she is a special player and i'm so happy um that she's having this kind of success here at the end of her senior season well, from one alley to another, let's talk about Newland. Seven for 10 in the series, three RBIs, three doubles. I remember on our coach call before the Alabama series, we were talking about her and how she's not the player that gets the most publicity, but she's just been steadily working and producing for your offense this year. And we saw it again this weekend. How impactful is it to have her doing what she's doing in the lineup behind what's already such a scary top four in your order? 
She's another one that when good things happen for her, you just like love to see it. Like you love to pull for her because she's that team team kid. Like she'll just do whatever the team needs, you know? I mean, I, I think I told you before the Alabama series, like she's been asked to catch, play left field, play middle infield, and she'll come early to get whatever she needs to get in done so that she can work all these different positions in practice. You know, she'll get her lift in ahead of time so that she can work all these different positions in practice. She's just always going above and beyond, never bats an eye at whatever crazy things that her coach tells her to do. Like in January, he said, just stop catching. You're not going to catch. Come on, just head out to left field. And then here she is, you know, catching two out of three in the last regular season weekend of the year. So, um, you know, pretty much just going my life motto plan to be surprised. You just never know what's coming around the corner. So. And, and speaking of surprises, I know, um, middle of the season taylor pleasance obviously went down and uh, at one point she was in the lineup still still slapping uh, still getting on base uh was only allowed us to slap at, at one point but what's that process been like in getting taylor back healthy and her contributions to the squad now that she's back healthy i think that's such a big story of our season you know of our team and what we went through and i think it's you know part of the struggles and adversity that we went through is, you know, a big part because of that injury. I think if anyone lost, you know, who I think is the best shortstop in the country, if anybody lost her for any amount of time, they would feel the same way. Um, but so cool that she just, she would ask Danica, she killed me one time. Danica was like, you know, coming off her bat, she's like, they don't play anybody in right field. How do I get my barrel to get it over there? You know, <laughs> so she's like asking, she's working. I look out one day, she's in the extra work with the slappers just on her own one day. So pretty cool that she took that upon herself to try to find a way. Um, and the day she could swing for the first time, you know, I wasn't in the cage, but they tell me she swung for the first time and the whole team just started cheering, just lost their minds. Um, you know, that she was back. And then SEC player of the week or first week back, they're all like, what the heck? We've been swinging this whole six weeks and we're not getting SEC player of the week. So um, it was pretty cool just what she means to this team. Um, she's a, the, the greatest teammate too. So it's easy to pull for her. Coach, I wanted to make sure that we talked about the pitching in game three, the run rule win for you against Georgia. We saw Berzon in game one. We saw Kilponen in game two. And you went with Johnson, Casanova, and Chafin in game three and obviously it worked uh holding down that really really talented georgia offense but what did you see specifically from those three that maybe you were looking for going into the postseason well i think the cool thing is you know coach dobson's been telling our offense you're like one swing away one swing away just one timely hit you know we're out hitting all of our opponents just not the big one then mckenzie rudity comes up with the little flourish type you know it's not like your solid huge line drive that she normally does in game one to score the two runs and it was like that was it you know then our offense was was just rolling and doing what they're capable of and um the scary part about georgia is like it, when you're up eight to one if there's anybody in the country that can come back it's georgia you know so it's like you're not comfortable at eight to one um because we've seen them score that many runs in the blink of an eye so i think we were just willing to use everybody we had um, it was all hands on deck and just find any way we could to keep them off balance and just moving people in and out. Um, you know, the cool thing is you have a player like Emily Casanova who hasn't gotten a ton of time, but has never taken a day off this whole season, just has worked incredibly hard all season long that most people wouldn't have been ready on the last day of the regular season if they had, you know, had the opportunities she had, but she was ready. Um, our players were ready. And that was what was really fun about the day too. And heading into the SEC tournament, first round against uh, Ole Miss, what did you tell your squad uh, in preparation? And I'm guessing you're probably leaving today, uh, maybe later today or tomorrow. What did you tell them heading into the tournament? Yeah, they're in finals. So we're kind of just in survival mode here for a couple of days. They're like trying to squeeze all their finals into two days. We're getting on a late flight tomorrow to play the first game, but um, we're going to show up and give it our best. You know, right now they're going to try to be the student part of the student athlete. Um, we're so proud of the day they had yesterday. It was a huge day for our program for just so many reasons. You know, got us to that 40 win plateau, bumped our RPI, like just a, a really quality Georgia program, um, you know, that we were able to have some success against. So um, it was a big day. I think, you know, they get to celebrate in that for a moment and then be students today. And Coach, I want to ask about the RPI because I know everybody is different in how they communicate 
what that metric means to the team. Some people say this is what we need. Some people just track it and let things play out. Where are you on that spectrum in terms of looking at the RPI, looking at the metrics, looking at profiles and communicating that with your team? I'm pretty, um, I don't know, obsessed, weird, psycho about it. You know, looking at it like every 10 minutes just to see if somehow it changed. Did somebody play a game, some random place and it moved the needle for us? Um, so I'm, I'm constantly checking it. I don't think we share it too much with our team. Our team seems more motivated by things like pizza parties and water slides and <laughs> zoos than the RPI. Um, so, you know, we try to keep it pretty light with them. Um, and, you know, that's where they are this weekend, trying to earn some, you know, inflatables or dipping dots or something. That's what they're looking for. Oh my goodness, I love that. Uh, and we got a, we got one of my favorite comments ever. We got uh, the, this comment on uh, uh, Facebook from <laughs> <laughs> speaking of RBI, um, I'm sure you all are tracking that. But yes, uh, love that cutest guest ever on the podcast. Look at me from Nick Trina. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Coach, thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I don't have any more questions. Gray, do you have anything left for Coach? Coach, I, I'm just excited to see you again in the SEC tournament. And I, I think that that we can all agree, although it's interesting that the Pac-12 has begun uh, this process now as well, but it, it's really hard to find a tougher week in softball than the SEC tournament, especially with it being single elimination. It's, it's going to be a blast this weekend. It really is. It's so exciting. And, you know, I think we all sit around and say how – Oh, it's just for fun. It doesn't mean this, but like everybody wants to play on. Everybody wants to play to the end and it can help your team and your RPI and all the things. But a lot of us are, you know, pretty solid in the resume we're putting forth right this week. So it's for fun, but it's still like, man, I want to be the team on the last day. I want to be the one because it is such a cool experience and such a fun atmosphere. So, um, you know, here's hoping the Tigers can make a good run this week. Yeah, we all pack for five days. We don't want to have to wear one day of clothes and then <laughs> no, come back. No, the key is you pack for one and then you win and you have to figure it out. That's how it works. Like if you're prepared for it, then, you know, like you got to just pack for the one day and then like, oh my gosh, we have to wash everything. We only brought one uniform, you know, that's like the way. One game at a time. Well, we're going to know. That's hey, that's fair. We're going to know. That's fair. I just I just if can't wear the same pants every day, so I have to change it up sometimes. <laughs> Thank you so much for hopping on oh, with us, Coach. You got it. You got it. Thanks so much Thanks for so having much. me. I enjoyed it. This is LSU head coach Beth Tarina joining us here on the D1 Softball Podcast. Like, I get it from a team perspective. I from a it. broadcaster perspective, I do have to bring clothes for every day. So... I mean, I get it, but I mean, I think sometimes some people are superstitious oh, and I yeah. get that. So if we see Coach Serena in the same um, clothes at third base uh, day in, day out, we'll know that she only packed for for a couple days or one day. Um, but yeah, so glad she could join us. Uh, quick, really short notice. Um, so yes. excited to see the Tigers and, and how they do. Uh, in the SEC tournament. And I know, Gray, you'll be able there be there to watch them. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you again to Coach Tarina, the cutest guest ever, according to one commenter on ever. Facebook. <laughs> I love that. Uh, really phenomenal <laughs> stuff from the LSU head softball coach. All right, Tara, we just did an interview with a head coach. Now it's time for me to ask one question to you. Ooh. Where in the world is Tara Henry? Tara, I, I have the gray for you. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, well, Look at that right there in the in... background. Look, there we oh, are in yay. Oxford, Mississippi. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Look at that. Yep. Uh, I was in Oxford uh, this past weekend for Alabama Ole Miss. And it was funny. I got a few questions on Twitter asking why I was at that series. I think it's really funny that people ask what series that I go to. Um, at the end of the day, I get to watch softball, so anything on the road um, is good. But, boy, what a series to go to. Uh, perfect game, a three-run home run in, in the seventh uh, by Jenna Johnson and then a walk-off for Ole Miss on Sunday. So I'd argue that there was pretty, some pretty darn good softball that we were able to watch uh, together in Oxford, Gray. Yeah, I mean, I would – be hard pressed to find a more dramatic three games and 
uh, anywhere across the country this weekend and maybe all year. I mean, just in terms of how it happened, you had the perfect game, game one. You had the Johnson home run in the top of the seventh. First time Alabama's had a comeback win uh, this year after trailing uh, through six innings. And then game three, it's the first time Alabama has blown a lead in the seventh inning this year. And Ole Miss just found a way to get the snowball rolling down the hill and then just kept at it and kept at it until the walk-off double by Maya Stevenson, the Marshall transfer. It was fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, Ole Miss secured, I believe, an NCAA tournament spot. They were already in a good position and further solidified that by winning on Sunday. And I think for Alabama, it's, it's interesting to see, in my opinion, the team response from this because we were talking after the game, 85% of the weekend was really, really, really good for the Crimson Tide. You could maybe even argue 90% of the weekend was really, really good. But that seventh inning could be the kind of thing that spoils you going forward and kind of messes with your mind a bit. And I'm interested to see how Alabama reacts to losing that series despite playing so well from start to finish. Well, great. I'm going to agree with most of that. Um, I think if you look at Saturday's game, Caitlin Riley for Ole Miss really shut down uh, the Alabama offense. And you'd argue that, uh, you know, the Tide snatched that win on Saturday uh, quickly away. And then, um, again, turn around, Ole Miss does the same thing. But I was actually really impressed with the rookies on both sides. Uh, and Larissa Pruitt uh, and Jayla Lassiter, uh, the center fielder for Ole Miss, uh, lead you know jumps to the leadoff spot on Sunday, gets that bunt against Montana Fouts. Now, when Montana Fouts enters a game, you know it was kind of a collective sigh, thinking, "Oh my gosh, how how are we going to surmount this?" You know, another two runs off of the Montana Fouts. But can't say enough about Larissa uh, uh, and um, Jayla, those two rookies on both sides. Larissa Pruitt, what was she was like? What was her line, Gray, for the weekend? Eight uh, for 11. Yeah, with, with three doubles, uh, three RBIs. I mean, just on the bases all weekend long. And then on the other side, uh, again, the Ole Miss rookie. So I was impressed with both of them. But, you know, great to be in Oxford. Had a great time. Uh, was able to, uh, you know, be in Oxford for the first time ever. Uh, and just really enjoyed some really good softball. And then you can't say enough about Montana Fouts. Perfect game. And it wasn't all strikeouts, y'all. Um, she did use her defense, so that was a good thing to see uh, as well. But great weekend in Oxford, and um, excited to watch uh, both those squads uh, heading into the SEC tournament. Absolutely, and I'm sure the teardown process has already begun at that stadium. Oh, yes. To get ready to craft the new one. Because yeah. they were like, get out after the third game. <laughs> we need to start tearing this down. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I talked to Jamie Traxel after the win, and that was their last game uh, on that field. So we'll be tearing it down. And new stadium for Ole Miss. And, you know, incredible for Ole Miss, incredible for softball, but just women's sports in general to see um, universities investing in women's sports and, and allowing uh, these players to have facilities that, you know, that they deserve. And I'm excited to see uh, what that new stadium looks like. And congratulations to Ole Miss on winning their last game uh, at that stadium and excited to see that new stadium uh, come up there in Oxford. Okay. It's time. We two and a half hours ago, three and a half hours ago, released (laughs) the newest D one softball top 25. And now it is time for us to sit in the hot seat. We have our ring lights at the ready. We're ready to answer your questions. Tara, what is the easiest way for people to ask us about the D1 Top 25 or anything else you might want to know? So head on over to YouTube. Uh, We can see your comments live over there on YouTube. So if you're not on our YouTube channel, head on over there so we can actually see your questions. If you can type them into there, we'll be able to answer them. Uh, as well. So if you're on Twitter, I would head on over to YouTube so Gray and I can see your questions live over on D1 Softball's YouTube channel. Okay. Our first comes from Brandon. Can you elaborate on your ranking decisions with Alabama and Arkansas looking at SOS and how their past weekends went? It just seemed it could go either way. Hashtag top 25 questions. Ooh, a hashtag. I like that. Ooh. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, I you? would. Tara, you did the math for it. 
Alabama and Arkansas might have been the two toughest <laughs> teams. Well, so Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn every week. It's yeah. a weird kind of group. And I think someone else was answering how we even were ranking teams six through 25. Uh, and there were maybe one or two uh, votes in between all those teams. So a really close um, matchup between uh, those two. And again, these are rankings. So we're not, this is not based on RPI, but um yeah, really close Alabama, Arkansas, and Auburn, those three A's. Every time I look at them, I'm like trying to make sure that we're doing this properly because they're very, very close. And we talk about, you know, oh, this time it might be a moot point because they're about to play. Well, the scenario exists here as well because if Alabama wins the 5-12-13 game in the SEC tournament, their opponent will be Arkansas and Fayetteville. So I assume that the winner of that will be ranked higher than the other <laughs> in next week's poll going into the NCAA tournament. So that'll be something to watch this weekend. Let's see what else we have here. All right, here was that one you were talking about from Keith. How hard is it to rank five through 16? You have teams that have beat teams ranked higher than them, but lost to others ranked higher than them. I think some of the teams ranked in the teens beat some teams <laughs> ranked higher than them in a two out of three or bracket play? Uh, the I mean, answer is it's very hard. <laughs> Just reading the question makes my head spin a little bit, but agree. So even when you're taking a look like, let's say Georgia LSU, we just had Balterina on. For me, in, in looking at Georgia LSU, yes, LSU just took that series um, from Georgia, that doubleheader, but I'm looking at, um, full body of uh, of um, play. So uh, Georgia, the number two seed uh, in the SEC. So that ranks a little bit higher because it's consistency over time. Uh, you know, a doubleheader loss, that's tough. Um, but I'm looking at strength of schedule, looking at consistency over time. Uh, so I would have, I voted for uh, Georgia to be above LSU. But again, you can look at it a couple different ways. Uh, and this week was arguably the toughest week we didn't give it that much flack because I think everybody felt the same way. I think you all out there felt like it was difficult as well. So at the end of the day, just um, just trying to figure out who uh, had some more consistency over time on my ballot. Or maybe doing this early podcast, make sure that all the angry people don't have time to answer. And the people <laughs> who actually care are asking questions, which is great. Here's a... Uh, Here's a bracketology question. Will the committee have to look at the eye test more than usual this year with some disparities in team sheets? We are talking about this earlier. I know our friends at the Seven Innings podcast discussed it as well. Huge disparities between the rankings, which are, are what our eyes tell us and what you know we value as voters, versus the math, which doesn't factor in rankings and is totaling strength of schedule and who you beat and all that fun stuff in the RPI. More so, Tara, than I think I've ever seen before. I look at a team like Northwestern, a, a team that I, again, honestly, have not had super high in my rankings pretty much all year. They come in at number 18 in our new D1 poll. They're number eight yeah. in the RPI today. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see how the committee weighs eye tests when you've got so many team sheets that, in my opinion, do not match the RPIs that some teams are being given. Oh, I couldn't agree more, Gray. And also, I hope the committee is paying attention to who's pitching when, too, because I think that's a huge indicator. We've got, you know, various pitching staffs across the country uh, taking on wins and losses. Um, but speaking of bracketology, uh, just so everybody knows, we do have our bracket challenge. It's back. Uh, so after the selection show, just head onto the site. We'll have that link for you. And you can fill out your own bracket challenge. And we're going to have... Uh, some prize money for the winners uh, this year, but you'll have to head on over to the site and we will have our D1 softball bracket challenge powered by Evo shield. Uh, for those of you that participated last year, uh, again, we'll have it again this year for those that didn't. Uh, it's a fun little bracket challenge and gray. I know we've got our own little bracket challenge group, but just want to remind everybody on Sunday after the selection show bracket challenge is back. Let's go. I cannot wait for somehow Tony Mascarenas to beat me this year. <laughs> Shout out to Tony. Here's a question from Darren, or I guess it's more of a statement. Utah swept Stanford. Please explain their ranking difference today. 
So let's look at it. Utah sitting at number 17. Stanford sitting at number eight. Uh, well, Utah had dropped down pretty far for me. I think I had them at 20 uh, in my ballot. Mm -hmm. I bumped them up to 15. But Stanford losing two out of three while at home to a good Washington team did not warrant as big a drop. And basically, for me, there wasn't enough that Stanford did wrong and even that Utah did right to warrant that big of a move for either side. Yeah, and you got to remember back, uh, you know, that series loss to Cal, I think, uh, hurt uh, Utah as well. I think if they get that series win over Cal, that helps bump them up a, a bit. But again, strength of schedule, Stanford, you know, Stanford's going to have to get that offense moving uh, heading into the postseason. We know they've got an incredible pitching staff and they're going to be a touch ma tough matchup uh, for anybody that they face. But uh, again, huge statement from Utah this past weekend to sweep Oregon, but I wasn't as high on Oregon either, Gray, personally. So uh, I know they were on that 14-game winning streak, but I, I agree with you. I don't think they, they did enough. Uh, and, and looking at both teams, I still think Stanford uh, edges that out there. All right, there are a couple more that I want to get to. Uh, and thank you again, everybody, for sending in these questions. I think this is about Louisville. How does a team go 0-3 for the week and not drop in the rankings? Again, a big part of that is math. Uh, you know, I actually, in my ballot, dropped Louisville two spots. But because we had some other teams lose, some other teams bounce in and out, the way the math worked out, Louisville didn't move. And a big part of it was they went to Tallahassee and fought. Those were three really, really tight games. So even though they got swept, I didn't feel like it warranted being kicked out of the ballot. And clearly all the voters agreed, Tara. I agree, Gray. And, and we talked earlier in the podcast about that series, uh, very tight games. Uh, and again, if they drop in the rankings, they either drop to 20, they, or they drop out of them. And I just, I think they're playing really good ball right now. And I do still believe they're a top 25 team, uh, losing three to a very battle-tested Florida State team. I'm guessing what this question is about. We think it's Louisville, uh, Florida State. Uh, I in my perspective, doesn't drop a team out of the rankings. And watching those games, uh, I think anybody would would agree that Louisville is a top 25 team. Here's another one from 1982 Boomer Sooner. With Okie <laughs> State, after getting swept and hitting a cold streak, could it cost Okie State a super regional bid? Uh, this is, I think, going to be a super controversial thought, Tara, because you look at Oklahoma Ooh. State – they're 12 in our rankings. They're, they're sinking in every poll. I think Oklahoma State is very, very safe as a top eight seed. And just, just the profile is solid. The metrics are good. The RPI loves them. And a lot of people are not going to like that, I think, when selection night comes. But, you know, when the committee is looking at the entire picture, not just the last two weeks. Uh, I don't know. Who, who's not going to like it, Gray? I think I like it. Well, I think people are going to be confused because oh. one of the, one of the things that that we're told that the committee values is how you finish. I'm not sure I've ever seen evidence that that actually weighs super super heavily on the committee when they're seeding teams. And I think Oklahoma State's profile is just too good to to warrant a drop out of a top eight. And yeah, we're looking at a four RPI and a ten strength of schedule, uh, ten wins over top twenty five teams, and in terms of non-conference schedule, uh, a 10 as well, and then RPI of five. So uh, I don't see I don't see this as a problem for uh, Oklahoma State. I think winning games is more of a problem than hosting a, a, a regional at this point. Absolutely. And last thing, Tara, again from our friend Brandon, love the bracket challenge. And I can't wait for the D1 Softball Selection Show reactions. Thank you, D1 Softball, for your coverage as always. Yes, Tara, next Sunday we will be going live me maybe from a parking lot at a stadium just down the street we'll see yeah so the idea is we're gonna try and actually get um some hubs uh, around the country so we'll hopefully get some live reactions from teams that make it in to the tournament so yeah we'll be live during this election show with our reactions and hopefully can take you across the country to give you more of a behind the scenes view of what happens on selection Sunday, not only with us and our reactions, but 
uh, with the real heroes, the, the players and the coaches and the support staff uh, throughout the country. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. It's going to be really, really fun, and it's going to be different this year. We've never done this, uh, and so we're excited to bring you um, in-depth coverage of Selection Sunday. Very, very excited. Cannot believe that is coming up. And you know what? I'm thrilled at all the questions that we got. Great job, everybody. If I didn't get to your question, it's because there were so many and we do have other things that we need to get to here on the rundown. In fact, we ran a little bit long on the Q&A. But again, keep sending in questions. We are very, very grateful for all of your interactions with us here on the D1 Softball Podcast. But Tara, now we go from the teams to the players of the week here on the show. All right, Tara, I'm going first just to give you Go a ahead. seconds to make your pick because I stole yours. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry. It's Kara Daly from Missouri. Are you kidding me? Let's look at how impactful this weekend was for her and for the Tigers. She has the walk-off in game two off of Shanice Dels. And then she has the walk-off in game three off of Shanice Dels to help the Tigers win the series to secure their spot in the NCAA tournament without a doubt. Kara Daly is my podcast player of the week. And also it was really interesting. I, I was looking back at, I was actually watching rally cap last night and they were previewing the sec tournament and they showed a clip of the final out from the sec tournament championship, which was Arkansas, Missouri. And I believe it was Kara Daly. And so for her to be the one that walks it off in games two and three is really, really special hats off to the Missouri tiger, my podcast player of the week. Yeah, and she was going to be my uh, podcast player of the week. So we're going to go quickly with, I think, who had a, arguably an incredible performance. And uh, pitcher Mariah Lopez out of Utah. I know we talked about Utah no-hitter against Oregon. Great performance. Uh, got a, a quick little text from from our resident uh, bracketologist, Brady Vernon, uh, and Mariah Lopez, uh, pitcher, uh, podcast pitcher of the week. For me, because Daly was going to be my podcast player of the week, but we can give love, we can spread it around. Uh, so, congratulations to Daly and Lopez, podcast players of the week. Love to pitchers that never happens. What? Never, <laughs> never. You know what we're going to see, Mariah Lopez, at the Pac-12 tournament, the first one ever, <laughs> and we're going to discuss that in three big things. We've got a Pac-12 softball tournament, Tara. It opens a whole new world for the Pac. They're like everybody else now in the Power Five. How's the committee going to evaluate the Pac-12 tournament? We have no idea, but it's going to be super fascinating. And it all starts Wednesday with Arizona, Arizona State as the quote-unquote play-in game, the 8-9 matchup, with the winner getting the honor of facing UCLA. Honestly, Gray, if you would have told me the first Pac-12 tournament would start with a playing game against Arizona State in Arizona, uh, at any point, even last year, I would have told you you were crazy. But it is happening, and Arizona is hosting the first ever Pac-12 tournament at Hillenbrand. And it's interesting, Gray, because I talked to some of the Pac-12 coaches before uh, they announced this Pac-12 tournament, and there was mixed um, kind of reviews on whether the Pac needed it and and um, in terms of having, you know, the tournament at the end of the season, if it was worth it or not. And there were mixed reviews, but I do think it's important. And like you said, the pack is now with the rest of the Power Five conferences having a conference tournament. But I think the key was is in terms of strength of schedule, in terms of RBI, the pack has historically been very strong. So the idea of having a tournament and adding that to the end of the season was something that some of the coaches didn't like. Now, in hindsight, I mean, also other side, uh, you're looking at a tournament where, you know, you're getting ready for the postseason and uh, it's single elimination and, and figuring out what team's going to make it towards the end there. So it allows for not only regular season, uh, a tournament champion as well. But Brady Vernon will be out there. I think I've said Brady's name a 100 times on this podcast, but uh, he will be covering the Pac-12 tournament for us at Hill and Brand. So we'll have uh, coverage for you all in the first ever Pac-12 tournament. 
Yes, and the semis and championship will be available on the ESPN family of networks as well. So you can watch that this weekend too. Semifinal one on ESPNU, semifinal two on ESPN2, championship on ESPN2 on Saturday night, which should be a ton of fun. I like the draw as I look at it for mm-hmm. Washington. They're the two seed. They get the seven seed Oregon State and then the winner of Cal and Utah. Utah, uh, a team that we've talked a lot about on this pod, just swept Oregon. Uh, as great as Mariah Lopez pitched against the Ducks, we've also seen there be some games where the Utes pitching just, just isn't there. And if the Huskies can continue to build on the momentum that they got from the series win at Stanford, I could see them going on a run and winning this tournament, including a maybe a win over UCLA in a championship. I, you know, I agree with you, Graham. We talked about that Utah-Cal series earlier in the season with Cal taking two of three from the Utes uh, and a hot Washington team. Easy for them to get through that top side of the bracket. And UCLA has to get through Stanford. So uh, they did not face Kennedy. Nigeria Kennedy was not playing at that point in the season. So the Bruins have not seen Kennedy in the circle either. So again, uh, another tournament that uh, we get to watch. And again, the first one for the pack. And I think the players are excited to actually play in a, a, a conference tournament. I've spoken to a few of them. So we'll have our eyes on that. And everyone will get to watch a pack game. It's incredible because it'll be on ESPN. I, I know that everyone's shocked. Uh, that, that this is happening, but you all will be able to see some some games in the pack this, this this weekend. At like a somewhat reasonable time as well for those of us in Central and Eastern time. Also, spoiler alert, three big things has five things. We're talking about uh, multiple <laughs> it's like they're tournaments just for here. One. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the SEC tournament goes to Fayetteville, Arkansas. I will be there. Beth Tarina will be there. All the teams in the SEC will be there. It starts Tuesday with Missouri and Mississippi State. And then Wednesday, you've got Ole Miss, who just walked off Alabama against LSU, just took two out of three against Georgia. Carolina, who won game three against Tennessee, against the Texas A&M team that's been resting this weekend. Alabama versus the winner of Missouri-Mississippi State. And then a rematch of Kentucky-Florida in the final game of that Wednesday cavalcade of softball in Fayetteville. And then Auburn, Georgia, Arkansas, and Tennessee waiting in the wings. Tara, who do you like? draw wise when you look at the bracket oh man i mean what it this is it's going to be tough in in terms of uh, even that play-in game gosh having to play in the play-in game mississippi state and mizzou on tuesday i think ole miss really um lucked out there getting that that day off but uh, in terms of 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 bracket gosh gray uh, it's anybody's game uh at this point in time and you know, I like Tennessee and what they've been doing, but again, the Tigers could get hot here uh, heading into the postseason, and 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 maybe Arkansas comes back and and repeats. You never know. Uh, I, I'm going to need you to specify which Tigers you're talking about. <laughs> there are multiple options there. The LSU. Well, I mean, both both Tigers. Are you kidding me? Actually, I mean. I don't even – honestly, you asked me this question, and, and I can honestly say I think it's all up for grabs. Normally I'd be like, oh, I think Tennessee's going to win. And I actually think Tennessee's going to have some trouble. But I'll lean to you on that, Greg. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm interested to see if Florida can get past Kentucky because Kentucky played much better this past weekend than they had for a yes. month and a half. If Florida can get past Kentucky, the team that has given Tennessee pitching the most trouble this year in conference play was Florida. So I would be interested to see how that matchup would go. Ashley Rogers has maybe had the best total career in the SEC tournament of any pitcher ever. Um, and, and I'm even including Montana Fouts in there when she went three straight in the 2021 tournament. But Ashley Rogers has been a warrior each and every year at this event. I think South Carolina could be tricky for a Georgia team. You know, Georgia swept them. It's really hard to beat a team four times as South Carolina gets past Texas A&M. And then I, I think that the matchup, honestly, if it happens, that everybody would be most excited about would be that Thursday night matchup of Alabama and Arkansas. Uh, in Fayetteville, we saw how great that series was at Rhodes way back in early March. How would it look in May? I, I think that that would be really, really fun. Yeah, and does Auburn get through with the Maddie Penta, you know, with that top side of the bracket? Uh, 
another possibility as well. I just honestly, normally I'm like, oh, this is going to happen. I, this is up for grabs. And, and I think this past weekend, what you, we described as carnage uh, is part of the reason where I think this is going to be a tough one that's going to play out. And it's going to make for some really, really good, good softball. All right, let's do some some quick notes on a couple other tournaments. The ACC tournament, Florida State, your one seed. Two seed is Duke. The three seed is Clemson. Uh, this is a very, 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 very important weekend for the Clemson Tigers. They open with North Carolina. That will not move the needle RPI-wise. But a potential showdown with the two seed Duke, I might argue that's must win for Clemson to host a regional. So a lot of eyes from the committee will be on all of the happenings at, I believe, Notre Dame is the site for the tournament this weekend. Yeah, and Louisville's got to get through Virginia Tech, so they got to get through MLM late, but potential another rematch, Florida State-Louisville on that top side of the bracket, uh, Gray. And then even, like you said, uh, Duke-Clemson, it is a must-win for Clemson. Strength of schedule has been an issue. We talked about this. Uh, but, again, any team that has a Valerie Cagle on it, uh, on both sides of the ball – uh, it's one that's going to be a tough, uh, tough go. So uh, again, another, these conference tournaments are so great and preparing these players for uh, the NCAA tournament, but come on, obviously Florida state, but I think Duke could come out uh, with a win uh, uh, this year in the ACC tournament, if they can get past Clemson. Yeah. It could solidify a top eight spot for the blue devils. If they won that ACC tournament in the big 10 tournament, your one seed is Northwestern, two seed Indiana, three seed Minnesota, four seed Nebraska. You got a lot of bubble teams, Tara, who are mm -hmm. trying to make runs and get on the right side of the bubble on Selection Sunday. I'm looking at Wisconsin. I'm looking at Nebraska's probably fine, but you know, you don't want to mess around. Uh, Penn State really hurt themselves losing to Purdue. Maybe a chance they could work their way back in with a win over Michigan and then Indiana and then beyond and Ohio State still trying to get on the right side of the bubble as well. So a lot of impactful softball, especially on that first day on Wednesday, Tara. Uh, yeah, and I'm just taking a look at this bracket. There's there's obviously so many teams in the Big Ten. Every time I, we talk about the Big Ten, I feel like it's like the Big 20. Um, but I am got my eye on Minnesota and what Autumn Pease has done there. Obviously, she was drafted uh, for the WPF Autumn Pease and – a lot of swings and misses, misses she induces. So in terms of looking at a challenger for Northwestern, because obviously Northwestern's been on the top there in the Big Ten, uh, I've got my eyes on Minnesota and Piper Ritter squad and what Autumn Pease has been able to do uh, for the Gophers. Big 12 tournament. Oklahoma? Yeah. Okay. I'm just kidding. We'll talk a little bit more about it. I, <laughs> we will talk about it. I yeah. don't want we don't want anyone to get upset because fairly <laughs> early or we're a D1 is sponsored by the SEC, which we're not. So I want to make sure that we we give everybody the love because I do we do see your comments, but yeah, um, I, I can call Commissioner well. Sankey right now and and confirm that the SEC does not sponsor <laughs> the D1 softball podcast. Uh, I, the Big Twelve tournament, Tara. I, I really want to make sure that we highlight Iowa State because mm -hmm. this is a team that was just. Outside the top 100 in the RPI, just taking L's in conference play. And then they beat Oklahoma State. And this this really cool bond with West Virginia baseball happened as well that, that's been publicized elsewhere. And since then, the Cyclones have been playing really good softball. Won a series with Baylor. They've competed yeah. with everybody. And they're the five seed in this tournament, which I don't think I could have imagined a month ago. So tip of the cap to coach Pinkerton and that entire squad for getting to that point going into the pack or the big 12 tournament. Yeah. And then even, I know we talked about uh, the big 10 bracket where it looks like you've got, you know, 20 teams. If you take a look at the big 12, uh, again, we did highlight Iowa state, but Texas, like, you know, we just that's when Baylor swept Texas this past weekend, I want to see how they react and what that does to the Texas squad. That is the number two seed in the tournament. So they, they face uh, the red Raiders and Texas tech first, and then Oklahoma state and Kansas play one another. So uh, the winner of those two, so we could potentially see a Texas Oklahoma state uh, in that round two game, but I've got my eye on the longhorns because I want to see what that loss to Baylor uh, did to Mike White squad and, and see if they can bounce back here uh, in this uh, big 12 tournament. 
Yeah, the bounce back is going to be key. Again, just a little peek behind the curtain. Last week, I had Texas as a top eight seed. This week, I've got them much closer to 16 than nine. So this sweep loss to Baylor was really bad, at least profile-wise for them. Not a bad opponent, obviously. But if they don't play well in the Big 12 tournament, they're going to just be a regional host and nothing more. And I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how, like you said, Tara, they come out after such a disappointing weekend, which followed so much good in the last month for the Longhorns. Okay. Yeah. Or go ahead. No, I just think what a difference a week makes. You know what I'm saying? Like we we were really high on Texas and then to see uh, Baylor come in and sweep the Longhorns. uh, I do think this is a very pivotal uh, moment for the Longhorns heading into the big 12 tournament. Last one I want to touch on, Tara, is the Sunbelt Tournament. It's at Louisiana, so in Lafayette. And Louisiana right now, ninth in the RPI, so trying to solidify a regional hosting spot. I still don't know how the math has gotten them to that point. Uh, But they are where the math says they are. And a good finish in the Sunbelt Tournament championship uh, might be enough, would probably be uh, good enough to get them to the top 16. But this is a league, Tara, that is so deep and so dangerous. You've got Marshall, who's breaking every school record that they've got this year. Troy and Texas mm-hmm. State are playing, and the winner of that will take on most likely Louisiana in the semifinals. And then don't forget about Olivia Lackey in South Alabama, a team that I think is probably on the right side of the bubble right now. But they are always dangerous. This is not going to be a walk in the park for the Cajuns. No, and, you know, I was able to actually watch Texas State this a um, couple weeks ago at Davis Diamond, so got to take a look at um, what they're able to do there. But I, I agree with you. In terms of the Sun Belt, South Alabama, the top of the bracket there, got to get through Marsh. Marshall's got to get through South Alabama. Uh, and uh, Louisiana's got to get through Troy or Texas State. So, again, could be up for grabs in the Sun Belt. I, I do agree with you uh, in terms of the math, strength of schedule, and, and looking at the cages. Now, we did see them schedule – really difficult games early and was able to watch uh, Louisiana in Clearwater and a lot of tight games against top 25 teams. So I'm not surprised that where they're at, but again, to get through this tournament, not going to help us in terms of RPI, but uh, you know, the raging Cajuns at 11. Uh, I'm with you, Gray. I'm surprised with as well. Yeah. I mean, whew, it's uh, it, it's going to be a, a hectic week. That was three big things, except it was, you know, five. Five. And, you know, it deserved to be five because, again, there is so much going on here in the sport this week. And, of course, Tara will all be covered on the wonderful website that is d1softball.com. But what will we see online this week, Tara? Tell us what's (laughs) coming up on D1. So a uh, really cool thing. We've got a new model out with 643 charts that's going to be up on the site later today or tomorrow. The top impactful players uh, in the country just really taking a look at data and statistics, advanced statistics, and how much a, a player means to their respective team. So that piece will be out here shortly. And then we're going to have a conference tournament central for everybody. So you'll be able to go to the site and get updates on what's happening on all of the conference tournaments across the country, uh, every where to watch, how to watch, when to watch, and of course our scoreboard, which you can't find anywhere else uh, on the internet. You'll be able to check all the scores throughout Division One softball uh, this weekend, and then our fun selection show on Sunday, a reaction show on Sunday night. So we'll be watching alongside the selection show, and we'll give you some more details on that. But we're hitting the home stretch. I can't believe we're in May. I can't believe it's Mayhem Gray. And just excited to see, one, how the selection committee goes uh, with who's going to host and where everybody's going to end up because this is the most exciting time of the year. I'm fascinated to see how much conference tournaments matter. You know, some years it seems like they're the most important thing in the world. And other years you you see the seedings come out and go, did did we went to this tournament, right? Like this, this was played. Yes. So I I don't know where this committee is going to side on that spectrum, but it should be really, really fascinating. And all that coverage on the D one softball.com website, the URL, uh, it's all going to be phenomenal. And you can make sure that you see it with a 20% off annual subscription by using the code podcast 
20. Also, Tara, just one more little reminder. Back on the gram. Oh, yeah. Back on Instagram. Head on over there. At D1 Softball underscore. That's got a nice little blue uh, page behind the logo. So head on over to Instagram and uh, go ahead and like us on all our social channels. And appreciate you all, your support, uh, your engagement. It's been really fun uh, to do this weekend and week out. And we really appreciate you coming on here and sharing your your thoughts and questions. And uh, just we wouldn't be here without you all. Uh, so thank you for your support. Absolutely. And it's been just a total blast to do this with you, Tara, throughout the regular season. I cannot believe the next time we're going to be doing this little virtual setup, we will have a bracket or at least be, you know, looking at a bracket as it comes out. It's crazy. Oh, I have goosebumps. I can't wait. Like it's, it's time. I can't wait. Excited for uh, the next week. Amazing. Thank you to the wonderful Kelly Higby behind the scenes, making sure that everything works appropriately. Thank you to our guest, Beth Tarina, the LSU head softball coach, for joining us on the show. That's the marvelous Tara Henry. I'm Gray Robertson. Thank you so much for joining us here on the D1 Softball Podcast presented by S2 Cognition. We'll be back next week for the selection show reactions. It's going to be fun. Until then, enjoy all the conference tournaments. We'll see you next time, everybody.